listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 436. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at Apple TV Plus's series Foundation, based on the classic Isaac Asimov novel. And we got a pretty good one. Uh, you know, I think for a while there, we were... I don't want to say second guessing our decision to go with foundation, but you know, around episodes two and three, maybe even four, it was, I don't know. It was not quite doing it for us. I think. Yeah. Um, it was, I would say I, I didn't dislike it. Um, but it, it wasn't something that was necessarily, you know, I, I kept wanting to be excited about a, a new episode and, and honestly, recently, these last couple of weeks, I, I like for this one, I was actually kind of excited because there was so much stuff that they left at the end of the last one that you know that I was I was kind of amped to to watch uh, this particular episode. But it's been probably a couple of episodes before I like really felt like that. And in, in all fairness, we could say an uneven season, but for the most part, I have to give it a thumbs up. Enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, they're moving in the right direction. I don't think yes. there's any question about that. It, this episode, uh, I feel, did exactly what you just described. The previous one did, left us with some, you know, really interesting storylines that, I, on the one hand, I think it's fair to say, well, I didn't see that coming, and we'll we'll get to some of those uh, in a few minutes. So, you know, if, if a show can do that, and stay within the context of believability, then, you know, there's something to be said for that. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I get, I, that's, that's a great point. Like hats off to any, um, any show that, yeah, where I, where I, you know, them surprised by what happened. And so, and they, they made that happen a couple of times here. So, except for the very end, that was the most yeah. predictable thing was what happened at the very end. Yeah, yeah, no question. But but still, we, we want to know where that's going to go and, and and how it's going to play out for, for Brother Dawn. And we shall see. Before we go too far, if you guys want to contact us with episode feedback, questions, whatever, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already and get into the discussions there. All right, you want to go first this week on what you are watching in Wayne's world? Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, so I don't think I actually probably when we talked last week, I wasn't, I hadn't started yet, but I watched Squid Game. Um, oh, how far week. did you get? I watched the whole thing. Oh wow! Yeah, it was and? pretty quick. I you know I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, it was. Violent, like, like as advertised, it was super violent. A lot of times, um, shockingly so. A lot of times, almost like have to turn my head. Uh, so, and then um, some really emotional, like, emo like some emotionally. Vi I would say emotionally violent. Uh, the premise of the whole thing is set up, so you know, almost. You know, well, we know it's going to happen. You know, right from the start, or we we were pretty sure. Of, uh, you know, so uh, I, I don't want to give any spoilers, so I'm, I'm not going to say much, but it was just, uh, you know, a, a really engaging show that, um, yes, was, you know, had, had these intense moments of, of violence in it, but also really built, especially the central character, you know, made a, a really strong character that we really got emotionally invested in through his... You know, not a perfect guy, not by a long shot. I think probably the, the that's what makes him such a um, relatable character. I don't know if relatable is the word I'm looking for, but someone that we care about so much uh, because he is, we can, you know, see ourselves in him. You know, he's he's not a Superman. He's not super smart. He's not super strong. He's actually kind of a loser. He's got a, a heart that, and even the heart fails him at times. Even that, that, that core of decency, which is why we like him so much, even that at times uh, deserts him. So, um, just I don't know. I, I, I liked it a lot. So, uh, you know, if if uh, you're above uh, 21 and you haven't seen it yet, then uh, go ahead and watch it. But I would say, you know, not with your kids who are under like you know maybe 14 or 15. 
Yeah, and, and you know what I would say, a word that you've used a, a number of times throughout the podcast, and I think it's a, a great word, and, and that is gravitas. And this character, and I can't think of his name now. It's been a you know a month or so since I've watched the show. I just but, saw it. I can't remember his name. Like gone, but, but it's something. something. Yeah, but it's something he doesn't really possess when we first meet him, no. but develops along the way to yes. the point where, as you said, he, he's not a perfect character even at the end by any stretch. But but there is a sense of gravitas about him that that he has developed that that you know, dignity as an individual that he just totally lacked when we first meet him. So, um, yeah, as you said, Fred, I'm not sure you're going to be up for the the amount of violence in this one, but, you know, if you get the chance, but anyway. Yeah, yeah um, like you said, I mean, I think it is essentially, you know, most people when they say Squid Game don't say character-driven, but it, I, it, to my mind, yes. after watching it, is totally uh, a character driven and and the only reason that we can stomach the violence is because we care so much about the characters that it's happening around and very often too all right well listen i am now three episodes into doctor who series 13 and like a lot of people i'm wondering well where the hell was this strong storytelling during the chris chibnall era because i'm really digging this season and while the third episode, which is the one that's kind of timey-wimey, certainly confuses me, I, I think what I've decided to do is when all of this is over, I'm going to do a quick rewatch. And that's not something I've thought about with Doctor Who for quite some time, even, you know, even in the Capaldi and Matt Smith and Tennant eras, which, you know, were, were great in their own right. So... Yeah, I'm enjoying. Are you? You watched all four episodes? Yeah, yeah, and and I I definitely have to agree. I, you know, I am totally agree with like that first episode. I think went just too much in trying to, you know, bring exposition to all aspects of the story. I, I as I'm watching now, I, I almost kind of get that it had to be done, but it made for a very uneven first episode. But since then, yeah, like definitely, probably definitely the best episodes well the, the first one of last season was really good definitely probably the strongest of the chibnall era and, and i noticed in this last one though this last one was really really good i uh, had the weeping angels in it and everything and i noticed he had someone helping him out with the writing so maybe you know he's found someone who can <laughs> reel him in a little bit and get him to focus and everything and write a, a, a story from start to finish that people like but but yeah it's a very enjoyable season so far. Okay. Now, I'm also in season five now of The Americans. And, and again, I think both of us highly recommend this. Uh, you just, I think what I love so much about this show, it's a, a Russian couple who has, you know, been trained to pass as Americans. And they've, you know, they've lived in America for the last 20 years. They, they're raising a family. And, you know... It, in, in a sense, I was saying this to my wife the other day, it's sort of like The Sopranos. You watch The Sopranos, and here's this guy that's that's local mafia organized crime boss, but we see him at his son's JV football game yelling at the refs like any other parent. And, of course, we're thinking like, well, if the ref makes a bad call, is the guy going to get whacked afterwards? <laughs> but, but, but we see this, you know, Philip and Elizabeth, you know, you know, we see her in the kitchen cleaning up you know, the dinner dishes as often as we see her cleaning up uh, an operation that went amiss. And, you know, the relationship they have with their daughter now is just brilliantly handled. Yeah. And it is the, you know, certainly the the centerpiece of the show at this point. So uh, without, again, without giving anything away, it's really well done and, you know, definitely worth watching for yeah. sure. Well, and, you know, the dynamic with the daughter is great because, you know, you know, when we, the show starts, she is a teenager and, you know, it's like when we see their, the, the way that they try to like pretend that their lives are normal and everything, like how, you know, they get a phone call and all of a sudden he has to run out to the store, you know, time and time again, you know, ultimately a, a teenager is going to figure, you know, unless they're completely stupid, they're going to figure out that something's up, you know? So, um, yeah, once they add that dynamic in that really, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's... It's just they're they're 
there's so much pressure on their lives, you know, just like this, when you have to be on your game, literally 24 seven, then any little slip up can be the end of you. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, it's and I'm rooting for him not to slip up. Like why I shouldn't be. Right? Like, yeah. And that's, that's a point of contention in my family here because my wife, she just absolutely hates them, but she loves the show. Whereas I now have to keep quiet about the fact that I'm secretly rooting for them to be successful. So, um, you know, I've learned my place in the uh, TV watching room here in the household. This, so. this is how this is how we navigate. Dave. This exactly. is how we navigate the relationship. Yep. So, all right. Well, let's get to Foundation, episode nine of season one, titled "The First Crisis," written by Victoria Morrow, directed by Roxanne Dawson, aired November twelfth. 2021 so this is essentially the final episode before we get to the season finale and as we said we we know we're going to get a season two and like we've said many times the books don't matter anymore so there's little point in even discussing them but yeah a lot comes up in this episode just throw some ideas out there that we we can look at in depth as we get into the discussion but you know, Brother Dusk is is such an interesting figure because I think of the three, at least for me, he's the one that that I distrust the most. Right. You know, on the one hand, I would say I dislike him the most, but there's something about Brother Dawn that just rubs me the wrong way as well. <laughs> um, oh, that poor goofy kid. You don't like him? Oh, I, come on, you baby. know, so does Dusk have anything to do with this terrorist group? that abducts dawn and would not surprise me if, it would not surprise so. me but i think we kind of you know started talking about that a little bit last week that for what reason to what end um you know he's gonna meet his fate regardless so why would he even want to do this but but again we can talk about that uh, a little bit now that fair is out of the picture do the three worlds rally around salvor which looks like a, a distinct possibility so i think that's a fascinating development well we see it. you know when harry selden comes out and tells you to do it then <laughs> dude you know, like, oh my god yeah just such a such a great scene there at the end of the episode great editing choices one of the things i i noticed right away in this episode and, and when i think back I, I notice it pretty consistently throughout the series is they don't feel a need to show things that we don't really need to see so in other words you know when, when salvor for instance is trying to get to um hugo's ship and, and you know and we see her and she's flying and then she grabs onto the post okay fine that's all we need to see we know she's going to get in the ship we don't see need to see another two minutes of her struggling and they don't right. show it yeah they yep. cut Good right point. to her in the ship and we see right. that several times so I, I love that decision to to do that. And, and then the other thing that still confounds, I, I probably everybody, Fred even mentions it in his feedback, Gail's voiceover, and I'm so glad you mentioned this a, a few weeks back, that, you know, the Australian accent, that's Gail. Okay, got, got it. Okay. Her voiceover indicates that this is her story, yet we're always seeing it through Salvor's eyes. And we know there's some kind of connection there. We just don't know what and again i guess that's uh something maybe they'll explore in season two hopefully anyway or i mean we got another episode here so you never well, know that's true that's true um so you know we get two main stories here and and salvor returning to terminus is certainly the first one and when we started this podcast for, for foundation that is not the podcast in general uh we talked about the creators of the series talking about how they wanted to kind of update the material to you know deal with some of the things that are going on in real life and you know in salvor's voiceover at the beginning she's talking about history and it's not fact it's a narrative and then that that line a lie becomes the truth and dude anybody that lives in america yeah that is <laughs> you know resounding just in a way we don't want it to resound but unfortunately it's you know part of our, our culture at this point yeah and 
anyway, I won't. I'll leave it at that point. Yeah, we we, we definitely that. I don't. I don't know if they you know wrote that line in the last nine months, but uh, or ten. I guess I should say eleven months. But uh, it certainly works out really well either way. Yeah, no, and and of course the line that her father tells her that, that we heard before: "Violence is the last refuge of the incompetent." Again, whether they wrote that in the last twelve months or actually that could well, even go. Well, Isaac Asimov longer. wrote that one. So. Uh, oh, did he? Okay, good point. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you um, read? I thought you said you're reading the book. I am, but anyway, I don't remember that. Salvador so. Harden says a lot in the book. Okay, but it's a great flashback scene and. Uh, I think sometimes shows can overuse flashbacks and foundation has certainly not done that. And, and this is really a wonderful scene because she's of an age that she's not that much younger than the Salvor we, we know in the present and her father certainly looks like, you know, close to the same age, but you know, that, that whole idea of past behaviors being the best predictor of future performance, uh, of course, is something that's part and parcel to what Harry Selden is. Sure talking about with psychohistory. So uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're witnessing what we believe is the fall of the empire and the cracks are forming. And it, it certainly sees, it seems as if that's the direction it's going. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I say absolutely, but as we see in this episode, you know, the, oh, and we saw, was it the last one? The last episode when he was in the doing the 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 walk, the sunburn walk. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so yeah. I mean, he, the empire just tends to that dude just wins, right? Like, you know, like he has a shirt like Charlie Sheen just winning. Like he just, no matter what he does, he comes out on top. So while we're fairly certain that we're seeing kind of the the at least the opening stages of the fall of the empire. This empire is not going to fall easy, and and we can see that because you know Cleon just is for all of, I guess I should say their um, shortcomings and faults. You know, Cleon the Cleons are very shrewd and you know leaders, and you know they just have and obviously very Machiavellian in many of the their methods. You know, they just, they, they go for the W every time. And, and um, you know, so that to me would seem, even though, you know, they're obviously doing a lot of things that are you know, alienating their subjects, they are, are still, you know, in power. And, and they, they know how to hold power. They know how to keep it. And... So they'll probably still be successful for a while yet. Well, and they also bring a level of stability, which shouldn't be underestimated. And again, watching the Americans and, and, you know, we're at a point in in history where we know the fall of the Soviet Union is, is only a few years away. And while that may seem like a good thing, the Berlin Wall coming down, which of course it was, but there's going to be a period of instability until you know, people can figure out how we want to govern, how we want to run things. And, you know, right now you might not like the empire, but you might not like what happens after the empire, uh, after the empire crumbles and, you know, what comes next. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll Well, certainly look at that. And that's one of the great things about foundation. And like I said, the book itself, it doesn't have action in it per se, but it, you know, doesn't, you know, it allows you to see the scope of a civilization and and the things that, and of course, that is relatable to, you know, almost any empire that's ever existed. The, the, this pattern that you're talking about is, has been, has followed the end of every great empire ever, mm-hmm. you know, Rome, you know, uh, Byzantium, uh, the the emperors of China, you know, n- you know the Soviet Union, the British Empire, you know, name what you will. Um, every single one, when the when the empire crumbles, then 
the resulting chaos is oftentimes even worse than yeah. Before. So, so what'd you think about Lewis and his fate? Because he he's a character that that it's been difficult to get a handle on how we feel about him because he seems to make a lot of poor decisions. But does he absolve himself here? Do you think? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I I I was sure it was going to be Salvor who's going to plug her. Yeah, we knew someone's going to plug themselves in. I thought it was going to be Salvor because you know we know that there's something special about her. And so I thought, well, if she does it, then she'll be able to guide the ship. And then she actually miraculously still live because she's so awesome, right? But I, I like how they went with it. Lewis gets to go out, uh, you know, as, as a hero. Yeah. And, and it's no surprise that she survives the jump despite not using, you know, the injections as Hugo and his team uh, use, when, you know, when, when he you know, reunites with her. But yeah, I, I thought it was handled really well to see him in that chair, jacked into the system. He's taken the ship home to Terminus and, you know, it, it's just an emotional scene for her. But again, you know, Salvor, I mean, her being just goes from, you know, not unironically one crisis to another and she doesn't really have time to mourn him. And and again, he was a complicated character, particularly in her life, because he, he didn't necessarily listen to her when he should have. But, you know, at the end, as you said, he, he performs this heroic act that that may, in fact, save the foundation. And, and then, you know, we we get that scene where she unclenches his fist and it's her coin which she recovers and, and and again it's a little thing a little detail but I, I think it was really powerful yeah it, it was so i don't know i mean i i, I can't remember well i guess because she always predicted what it would turn up on right yeah right so and, and- i just what she you know when she pulled out the coin and she like started crying i'm like why is she crying about the coin yeah so but it, it, I mean, it just was a, a, an emotional scene, and and you're right, like a character that, you know, I mean, despite being at at odds with him, this is a person she's known her whole life, and yeah, you know, obviously meant something to her. So yeah, yeah, and 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 then as uh, you know, she she's trying to stop the ship from jumping. She looks at the sky map, and I'm like, All right, what does she utter there? And and I finally turned the. Uh, uh, closed captions on. Right. It's like, oh, the ba- Hugo. Sh- ah, okay. <laughs> and and you know, some things start to uh, to you know come into place there. But you you know, once Hugo comes back on board, they you know acknowledge hey, our plan worked and all of that. You know that that fear that she utters. What if there is no solution to this crisis? You know, for a for a moment. Yeah, I don't think it's fair to say she doubts herself, but I, I think that was a natural reaction, just almost as she's gathering her, her thoughts, gathering her energy to move on to the next step, which, you know, she's improvising at this point. There, there's, you know, yes, she and Hugo had a plan to get to this point, but, you know, now it's it's just deal with what you've got. And I don't think they expected to find the whole planet dead or unconscious right you know i mean the first shot we we see the people that were actually dead yeah in the streets from from the firefights but then when we get out to the null field and and she i forget who she maybe she sees her mother first her mother, no, no yeah, she yeah, sees yeah. some yeah but she sees some other guy that she oh, okay. knows gord right. or somebody and she yeah. now i'm not sure how she's able to take his pulse with those big ass gloves on she's wearing <laughs> but Whatever. Very sensitive fingers. <laughs> I guess so. Um, <clears throat> but once Hugo and his team disable the Invictus's drive so it doesn't jump again, and he's like, dude, let it go. Take Farah out of the picture. But, but, but again, she sees the value in going up against Farah for this prize, which is, is pretty uh, immense and – you know, well, she also knows if she leaves it up to Farah, I mean, Farah's just going to take it straight back to Trantor and try to, you know, kill the whole planet there. Right. Um, now, which can't be good for any of the, you know, the, the it can't be good for the Foundation or 
or any of the other players that are out there. Right. Now, you know, I, I won't say what grade I'm going to give this yet, but one of the things that gave me pause momentarily, we see her lieutenant and he's bound in the chair. And, and then I'm like, okay, let's move the camera over and we'll see her bound. And it's like, what the hell? We see the rope on the floor. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you? Of course, I mean, of course, yeah. It's so, just like out of a out of a forty serial movie or something like you know like the bad guy on the train or something. Yeah, you know, like. yeah, yeah. It is, and and yeah. You know, I mean, all shows suffer from it. I understand that, and and you know the term that gets thrown around a lot is lazy writing, and and to a certain extent, it is lazy writing. I mean, I get that it's narratively interesting. I well, guess. Also, like, you know, they could probably show us how she escaped, but, like, why? Why would they, you know, like, they're just going to be like, hey, she escaped, deal with it, you know? Well, like, you know, well, you know she has to, right? She, she can't just, someone can't just show they're all bound and gagged to get determined to be like, hey, here's Vera and all her buddies, like, capture them. It was like, hooray, no, you know? Well, we only have to tie up two people. And if you're going to make sure one of them is more securely tied than the other, it's not the Lieutenant, right? It's right. Farrah. So, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. She gets it at the end. And, and, and again, there's a certain, uh, you know, deliciousness to the fact that she's killed with her own arrow. And I believe that was even the Huntress's bow that, that, uh, uh yeah, well, that was, they want else have a bow and arrow? Yeah, no, probably not. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that was, I that was that was that was brutal, man. Like I, I, I honestly didn't think. Even at this point, I'm like, I don't think she's gonna actually kill her, you know, because she just hadn't ever, you know, like. And Farrah's made it this far, but uh, you know. Yeah, and and you know, so we get the scene where where the vault you know, the covering comes down and then uh, again, the, the scorched earth policy fits perfectly with what Farrah seems to want to do. Just like burn everything to the ground. And again, not surprisingly, her firing on the vault has no effect on the vault. And, and then of course it, it, you know, opens up at the end, Harry comes walking out, but, um, but this is just like another example of like, we've been talking about how, like overwhelmed by hatred and violence and revenge that she is, you know, that she doesn't even care. Like, I don't even know what this thing is. I'm just going to shoot it. You know? Yeah. She's just, she's just almost like out of her mind with, with this desire for, for vengeance. And, and I don't even think it's vengeance somewhere. It seems like just straight up bloodlust. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, the other thing, I mean, she shoots her through the back of the neck and, and the, the, the arrow comes out her throat and then dude, did you notice like she falls face forward on the arrow? I almost thought, okay, well, they'll have her fall to her side. No, but I guess at that point she's already dead. So it doesn't really matter. It's just yeah, for a fact. I guess if it got you, yeah, right yeah. through the, the medulla oblongata, you would you know, die instantly. But you know, if you miss that, then you were talking about really probably a slow, painful death there. Right. So so now we get that brief moment where the Anacreons, you know, hold their guns on her, having just killed the Huntress, but, but the lieutenant talks reason to them. So now we're left with, you know, these three groups and will they unite under Salvor? I mean, that just seems obvious and... Yeah, I, I, we shall see. I mean, and and then to what end? Because you know we know of the second foundation back on Harry's home planet, but you know, so, so what's that going to mean for the this foundation? Anyway, well, but um, Salvor doesn't know about that, though, right? Yeah, right, right, right. right yeah. We we, we know, but she doesn't. So, but but yeah, I mean, she realizes that the you know. For for them to survive, because now as the foundation gets bigger, I guess would be the word. I guess you know yeah, more sure. noticeable. You know, there's people going to come at them, and and they don't obviously do not have the ability to really defend themselves. Well, they so do now because they, they've got Invictus. Ex- well, right, exactly, and they've got. Well, we assume what seems like they're heading towards. They're going to have 
a couple allies as well. Right, right. So, uh, yeah. So I really like where this storyline is going. Um, I'm not sad to see Farrah go. I'm not sad to see Lewis go. I'm glad that he got the, you know, the the send off that that he did. Yeah. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying. I mean, he he yeah. he, he died a heroic death, as you point out. So, um, yeah. Now, well, yeah. to go back, because I, I was even thinking about this now, because again, you know, we talked about this. Like they they had this scene. Where we see Farah when she's young, and seeing I guess her brother get killed in a world get bombed, you know, like that scene now even more so seems just extraneous, right? Like I mean, I, that's that's the scene you put in to build sympathy for your character, but they really went out of their way to make her a very unsympathetic character. You know, like we get why she's upset. But because she's just so over the top with her revenge and bloodlust that we never, I I shouldn't say we, I never really got any kind of of sympathy. You know, like for that moment we saw that, okay, yeah, I get it. I'm witnessing what she witnessed. I feel bad for her. But then they get back to her and after about two seconds, she's like, I have no sympathy for her again. So, you know, like, I mean, you know, I feel about you know, scenes where kids get killed and everything. I'm not sure. a big fan of it. And, uh, you know, so if you're going to do that, like, you know, get some currency out of it instead of just like this um, almost like gratuitous uh, scene of violence, you know. And there's so many connections right now from the Americans that would apply here, but I don't want to spoil it for anybody. So right. uh, let's get to the story about the plot to take down the genetic dynasty and you know at the beginning of the discussion i mentioned the whole idea of well i didn't see that coming and you know that pretty much applies to this storyline uh yeah <laughs> you know azura and dawn yeah okay we're, we're you know we're rooting for these crazy kids and you know they've they've had sex apparently um you know she's helping him plot his escape because he's having this existential crisis that that leads him to want to you know be more independent and you know as we said last week we get all of that you know that little scene where she calls him cleon i i don't want to say that was a piece of cringeworthy dialogue because i <laughs> i didn't take it that way but it's almost like we have we ever heard any of them called cleon before no i don't think so and there was just something that just caused me to cringe a little bit and then oh wait wait wait, wait. No, no 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 he does he tells her to call him cleon doesn't he oh you're right that's right but it's yeah. still yeah like, it's, right. it's still like kind of forced she, but and she says but they did set need, that one up though right right you need a new name unique to yeah. yourself so um you know and and then that scene with dusk and we've seen the mural painting before but we really didn't have the the full context so now he lets us know that the signature task of dusk is to record our visual history and we see where this is going right away when he starts talking about um you know the actual painting and the colors and this and that and so uh, how many of the, I forget what the name of the bird is that, that right. he shot that yeah, I day. I can't remember either. So you see the three and, and, you know, he looks up like with us and we see what he sees and it's like, okay, yeah, he's, he's safe. There's three. But then of course, later we see when he puts, he puts the, on the little things that allows him to see right. all the colors. It's like, oh uh, no, there's all six there. And, yeah, and that goes yeah. back to the original scene when that dude goes out and picks up the three that he hid in the bushes so right well he and he lied to dusk because he yeah. didn't want to like upstage him so he said he just shot three and you know, of course you know dusk misses nothing so right right so so the, the his awareness of the color blindness um you know they mentioned the fact that he's left-handed and i guess the other ones are right-handed i'm not sure what's bad about being left-handed i'm left-handed sort of <laughs> I'm one of those people. I I write left-handed, but I throw right-handed. Okay, so you got completely mixed up. It's mixed supposed to be mixed. the other way around. Yep, I kick left-footed, right, but, but throw right-handed. But anyway, so you know, now we find out how that happened and the reason for it. But but it also leads to you know an interesting narrative 
I guess not not so much device, but a, a narrative path that that's going to have to get explored. But even before we get there, you know, he starts his escape. He's on the run, and for somebody that's really never had to do anything like this at all, as much as I dislike Brother Dawn, I think he acquits himself fairly well. Right. Well, getting- of of course we can't we can't you know rule out the idea that. They let him. You know, they let exactly. They let him yeah. do it, and that you know, and he figures out. Oh, you guys, you, this whole thing was just to for me to lead you to them. It's like right, yeah. <laughs> now he does. You know, one of his first stops is to trade his bracelet for a coat so that he can blend in. Although he's come out of the water, and we can see him straight out of Batman Begins. By the way, okay, I like that. and. Uh, you know, he he later says that that I got it so I could blend in, but. I guess it served two purposes for sure because he was definitely uh, cold. But but he also finds himself in that underground, the scar amidst the poor and the displaced, and and he, that that description we get that you know out of again I forget the exact wording, but but out of oh the empire sees the scar as a failure while others see it as an opportunity and 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 in the voiceover the, the whoever it is mentions that this is the first time these people have seen the actual sky and not some computer generated version meant to control them and just that that bustling scene that's that's come out of th- this horrific disaster i think just speaks to the resiliency of the human race and right. and you know, I, I think it's it's difficult to not get caught up in in you know the, what's going on, where everybody looks, you know, just just excited. They're they're interacting with each other. They're involved, and in, and it's just it really it's a wonderful scene. That yeah, well, um, and also you talk about like the resilience of, of the human race because actually this comes when Salvor was talking with her dad in the beginning, and he mentions how she's like, well, where did people come from? And they're like, well, there's this place they, they think they might have come from this place called earth and just like oh yeah like that's totally uh asimov sets that up in, in the book as well that humanity is there, there's this ancient place where there, people aren't even sure if it's true but we, they they think that humans might have originated on this planet um earth long long ago so you know that was always kind of like the thing i like about you know science fiction like asimov and and Star Trek and things like that is this kind of optimistic vision of the future of humans that obviously nowadays less and less we see that science fiction nowadays tends to be more dystopian and you know pessimistic about the the future of humanity but it's it's kind of cool to to read fiction that has this you know outlook that the human race might actually continue and and exist in you know in ages and ages from now Right, but clearly these people didn't uh, consider Battlestar Galactic has already answered that question. We know the human race originated on COBOL, so right. Uh, right. I don't even know what this is all about. But <laughs> regardless, you know, he he gets to her place, and you know, one of the first things she tells him is that, dude, you stink. You need a shower. And of course, we're thinking like, okay, is she going to go with him? Uh, yeah. No, but uh, you know, se- right, second best thing she comes out wearing her best black badass outfit yeah she's got a gun comes out with another dude well true right 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 but (laughs) she's got a gun and then it's like whoa wait wait a minute yeah and and it's like okay so then you know okay we see uh it's a trap so this is the point dave where i have to say and we have this recorded i said way back that i didn't trust her you did i did and i i called that and and I I was wavering on it like last week. I was, or I guess the week before that, I was like really unsure, and maybe I should open my heart up to her. But you know, in this case, I, I was right. I was dead on. She had nefarious objectives the whole time. Yeah, and, and then of course he's knocked out, and then we see a clone of himself looking down on him. And, you know, as you mentioned, yeah, she and, and she's romantically involved with that one, I guess. But but there are a couple of questions. I mean, we get a lot thrown at us. And when we see there's a Dawn copy, 
I mean, that doesn't surprise us. We've already seen the little hall of clone copies. So, so we know they're out there. So that's not so surprising. And we assume, all right, well, how'd they get it out of there? But that's not exactly what happened, right? That they smuggled some of Cleon, the first DNA out of the palace and they produced their own Dawn clone. Yeah. So my, so my question where I'm a little confused, did they import somebody else's um, personality or, or, you know, whatever into this clone or have they right. just well, that, raised that, this clone, you know, just the way Philip and Elizabeth were raised in the Soviet union to be right. you know, spies for the KGB. I mean, has he just been raised to this point? to think like this, which I guess is what makes most sense. Right. They say he's been practicing. So that seems to be the answer is that, that they have been training him to take over. But yeah, like this is where I think their plan is kind of crap because, you know, I, what can they do? Do they have anyone who's really on the inside in the palace and knows how Cleon is raised and what he'd be exposed to and what he would need to know and not know? Well, see, that's the thing, and 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 again, unless he was raised in the Hall of Clones, which we get the idea he was not, because we were told there that they are constantly being fed information to update them in the chance that they're actually needed in real life, and so we know that's not him. Which I, when they, they they first saw him, that's what I assumed that they had somehow liberated you right. know, one of the clones from the Hall of Clones, but that's not the case. Right. So you say, like, what's their plan? Well, their plan seems to me to play the long game and that they're going to wait it out until he becomes day. And then what? Just bring the whole dynasty down? Because that's what they want to do. They want to bring the dynasty down. What better way to bring it down than to actually, you know, have one of the dynastic trio do it for you? But then. You know, again, I think it's Fred points out in his feedback that, well, you wonder whether once he gets in that situation and and if it is the long game, is he going to say, well, you know what? I kind of like this, you know, the benefits of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, that, that was, Fred raised a great point. And I was thinking about it. this kind of goes back to what I said before of how the empire just always seems to come out on top. So, you know, I would tend to think even if they're, which is a truly crap plan, um, had succeeded, that either he would have been quickly found out, which seems the most likely you know, scenario, as there was certainly going to be loads of tiny little things, daily things that he wouldn't know about because you know these three guys spend all their time together, basically, right? Yeah. So how many little things had happened in the time that Dawn has been alive? Is that, he not going to know? Right, that he wouldn't know. Loads, loads. It would be so easy to bust him. But then the other thing, I mean, I think Fred raises a good point that even if that didn't happen, that he would somehow, the empire would continue. Either he would be found out or he would just decide, you know what? As you said, I like it as as empire. I'm not going to rock this boat. I'm going to ride this out. And if he's found out, there's an easy solution. You just get rid of him and you bring in one of the copies you from the, in, the- You got the copy sitting right down there in the basement. Just go right. Just go unplug them, decant them, and boom. Yep. So we're, we're still a, a bit unsure of what Brother Dusk's role in all of this is. I mean, his, his troops storm- azura's apartment and and save brother dawn and you know they they kill the other one um you know they shroud her so obviously we're going to see her again and i assume it's going to be in in the context of a torture where they want to know who do you work for eliminate whatever threat is is still out there but for right now he saves the day as he mentions that dawn is the embodiment of our vulnerability because as we learned, the reason he's colorblind and left-handed is because they, they I'm making air quotes, went right. in and altered his DNA. So we might say, well, who had access to be able yeah, to do they that? They really gloss over that one. You know? Which then brings me back to Dusk. Did he have a hand in it? Uh, yeah. But 
if he did, why? I don't understand how that would benefit him. Yeah, I don't know. That crazy bastard has all kinds of plans, though, so you don't know. But yeah, but exactly. That's like, you know, when they say they had your DNA altered, at first I'm like, well, who's they? But then again, they... He uses the pronoun they again a couple times, clearly talking about this rebel group. But yeah, like how did how how did they have access? Unless there was someone, Brother Dusk, on the inside who is allowing this to happen and, and then why? And you know, but I, but obviously we know this this guy's a planner and uh, you know, that he's he's he as they thought they were playing the long game, you know, so was Dusk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then he essentially just says, "Wait till your father comes home, and yeah, uh, it'll be up to brother day." I mean, what's the plan? Dust him and and bring out a new one? I mean, maybe. I would, yeah. So, anyway, um, anything else you want to bring up that we haven't talked about? I, I don't think so. Actually, we kind of covered everything I had there. All right. Well, why don't we move on to listener feedback? And before we get to Fred's audio feedback, I wanted to address something that Linda Bond posted on the Facebook group. She posted several things, uh, one of which is great about the uh, QR codes in Australia in, in relation to COVID. But she points out that everyone is being a bit hard on Gail. In the last 48 hours of her personal timeline, she found her lover stabbing her mentor got bundled into an escape capsule, woke up 35 years later to an empty spaceship and found out her lover was executed, then finds the hollow of her mentor coercing her into a new scheme. That's a hell of a 48 hours. (laughs) I'd say it's even less than 48 hours, actually. So Linda has a great point there. And I I know I was hard on Gail. I'm not sure. I can't remember what you said about it, but I certainly know I was hard. And then when you point it out and bring it out that way, then yeah, that was a lot to take in. So that was probably pretty unfair of me. In, in our defense, she is a fictional character, but, you know, but yeah, that's, that, that's actually a great point that, you know, if we're looking at, at this on a human level, she's had a lot of stuff happen to her very recently and it would put her emotions in, in a, in a pretty bad place. Uh, but you know, again, I, I, that being said, I'm, I'm going to defend myself slightly here in just saying that, as as I said before, that that she is one of the only people in the world. <clears throat> I would say her and you know, well, Raish maybe one, but he's dead now. And Harry, who can actually do the math of psychohistory, I don't know. Yes, absolutely, things have happened that would would really wear on, on her emotions but on the other hand i think also you know she's got to step back it just seemed like it was a, a little much i just felt like and i didn't i, I like the char- character of gail so that's why I, I wasn't so thrilled to see her acting in such an overly emotional kind of irrational um way i would you know prefer to the, to to see her kind of slow down and and deal with things and with Harry, to that matter. So, I don't know. Well, you I know what? I'm just, I, I'm just digging myself deeper here. So, I think I'm going to just stop talking all the time. Well, but, but I think what it is for me is that we have come to the point in the narrative that it's difficult to separate Gale and Salvor. And it's not only that they're both female, that they're both roughly the same age, but there's that connectedness that we still haven't figured out. But salvor is a soldier and gail is a mathematician and if well, salvor is a warden so i don't know if that's well a soldier, yeah, but, yeah. I really yeah okay but still i i think you you see her training and the way she jumps into action that that's what she's been prepared to do that's what she she's trained to do as opposed to gail who who's not i mean she's She's been trained to solve equations and that had Salvor found her lover stabbing her mentor, got bundled into escape cap, all those things, I think she would have handled it totally differently because she's been prepared differently. Yeah. So at the end of the day, yes, I, I think we uh, were a bit hard on Gail. So uh, 
All right. Well, why don't we hear what Fred's got for us, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foundation Season 1, Episode 9. And sure, I'm very curious what you're going to do after this. Okay, I have to record on Friday. Normally I do that in the weekend because I'm off this weekend to Germany, northern Germany, which is a trip to Bremen, North Germany, and it's about 250 miles because we are going to the 78th birthday of my father-in-law and then we have a dinner there and then next day back again. Of course, these distances are quite normal in the US, but for us little Dutch guys, uh, it's, it's quite a trip. With a country that is about 190 miles by 125 miles. So 300 by 200 kilometers. Okay, coming back to last week's podcast. You asked whether the Cleon clones have souls. And Wayne asked if I would be qualified to have a philosophical judgment as a geneticist. Well, being a geneticist is not a problem. Being an atheist is perhaps more the problem. Do I believe in souls anyhow? Well, I can give a kind of answer. I mean, the identical twin is actually a cloned person, but cloned by nature. Do all the identical twins do not have a soul? There you got your answer. Cloned by nature or cloned by science doesn't matter that much. Okay, about this episode, episode 9. Well, this is an episode I really, really liked. I give it a straight A. Wow, this Azura scam that they really smuggled some DNA of a Cleon out of the palace and that they raised him to their own purposes, but they also changed Brother Dawn so that he would have a genetic fault, so that he would at a certain point discover that and wanted to go out of his own. Well, this is far-fetched, but it actually did work. You can call that long-term planning. On the other hand, I really wonder what this Cleon clone that they raised outside the palace would do in the palace. What would his tasks be? How would he destabilize the whole empire? Would he be raised to Brother Day first and then take decisions that are in his own path, in his own ideas? How will he, or how would he be influenced by living in the palace? Would he still be with this this revolution group or would he slowly change into a real brother day what is stronger nature or nurture again and in this in this case the nurture is of course being raised outside the palace with these revolution people or will eventually his genetics play a major role and would the whole scam go down the drain because he changes his mind and becomes a real Brother Day as he should be. Well, he was killed, or is he killed? Big question. Well, the puddle of blood was quite large. I also was a little bit amazed that his nanobots didn't repair that, but perhaps this injury was too big for that. Although Azura really used him and betrayed him, I think she still had some empathy for him and really saw him as a victim. And obviously she likes his clone. Although that's a real Cleon, not with some false build-in. And actually this Cleon is more like Blood of Dusk. And I don't think she likes Dusk that much. Talking about Dusk, he is also very intelligent and can play his own scams. And had Brother Don lead them to these revolutionaries. And then, of course, there was the whole Selfer and Hugo and uh, Farah story with a lot of tension and a lot of action. I had not seen it coming that Harry would walk out of this vault, this portal. I really wonder if that's the real Harry or that's only the AI with Harry's memories and brain patterns, whatever. 
And I don't understand yet how Salvor get these uh, Gale images and Gale memories. Is is they are they somewhere connected or are they the same? It's still not very clear. Okay, looking forward to the next episode, the last one of this season. Looking forward to what you are going to do after that. And P.S. Thank you for the compliment of uh, having a geneticist in your midst uh, to solve ca- these kinds of uh, questions, as far as I'm able to. Okay, greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands, and I'm off to Germany. All right, Fred, you never disappoint. Seriously, uh, um, um, yeah, again, uh, w- we've mentioned many times your knowledge of genetics and Fred says, cloned by nature, cloned by science doesn't really matter much. And that example he gives of identical twins, I never really thought about it that way. I mean, I don't necessarily possess that knowledge anyway. But if we're going to talk about a soul, what are we saying? That one twin has a soul and the other one doesn't? Right. So. Well, there are um, some twins, I think. That uh, you know what, dude? Case. I was thinking the same exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, Fred, that's why your input is just so awesome. But he also, you know, raises the question, as we said, how would the Dawn clone have destabilized the empire in the, in the first place? You know, he, he also brings up the, the I did, again, I didn't think about this. The Dawn clone already had the nanobots in him. So, right. yeah, I mean, he had a pretty severe wound, but. Yeah, you know, I, I actually did think that when he got sh- his throat slit. I'm like, can't Nano fix you up there, you know? like. Uh, but but again, like as Fred said, maybe the wound was even, you know, too quick and, and too, too um, severe for the, the Nanos to fix. Right now, I guess to be fair, you, you know, maybe we'll see next episode that, you know, he, he did recover. They took him out and they're going to question him. Uh, just as they will question Azura, but uh, yeah, but you know, now I might take a step back from what I said about him not being able to play the part because he was just such a smug little douchebag that you know he probably would have actually been able to play the part pretty well. Now, now that I think about it, you know, he was yeah, really I, mean to to Dawn. Well, yeah, oh yeah. So anyway, um, anything else about Fred's feedback? Uh. Nope, except I, I hope you had a great trip to Germany there, Fred. And oh, yeah. It's funny how, I mean, we've talked about this before, how, you know, um, not that traveling 250 miles is nothing, but that's like what, to, like, what, what would be 250 for me? Like maybe Pittsburgh? Um, Yeah, maybe a little yeah. farther than that. But, but yeah. you know, if my mother only lived 250 miles away, I'd definitely see her more. So, right. Yeah, as opposed so, to a thousand. I know, um, like you know, Buffalo is like four hundred miles from here, and, and I've definitely done that in a weekend, uh, driving that by myself often. So, yeah, um, I mean that's like a five-hour drive, right? Yeah. Two hundred and fifty miles or so. So, you yeah. know, that, that's doable. But, uh, Fred, Linda, thank you so much for the feedback, and, and Linda has some other great feedback related to the episode. Yeah, you know, I mentioned the the QR stuff. Um, in Australia, but uh, she's got some other good stuff about the episode as well. So uh, I'm going to go full A this week. Uh, I I really had a difficult time finding anything wrong other than the fact that Salvor didn't secure Farah well enough. Right. (laughs) I'll I'll let that one go. Yeah, we can, there's at least one nitpick that you could kind of throw out the door, you know, and everything. So yeah, I, I I am comfortable with giving this a a full A. Okay. All right. So we've got the uh, season and uh, season finale. I almost said series finale. So after next week, what we're going to do is the the next episode of Hemlock Grove for Fred. After that, we still haven't decided. I guess we actually have to uh, communicate with each other. Yeah, I guess we can't put it off anymore. I mean, we can put it off, but, you know, we're going to have to make a decision sometime here. Right. So uh, I think we're on episode four of Hemlock Grove. I'll have to go back and <laughs> look at Is my that? records. I think it might be four. I don't think it's five, but anyway, we'll it figure it out. it might be three, isn't it? Three. I don't know. We'll go back and look. So, uh, all right. Well, we will leave it there. That will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Foundation 
anything going on in your genre TV world, post in the Facebook group about uh, you know, whatever episode we're talking about at the moment. Uh, if you want to email us, it's sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to talk about the season finale of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. But until then... You know, Dave, I, I like it when you get the, uh, the the podcast put up on, you know, a little early and everything, because then I can, in the morning, I can say I woke up to the dulcet tones of your voice. <laughs>